Welcome everyone, I'm Joe Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work around the world or about our church fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We're in the book of Romans, and we're studying now Romans 6.15, where Paul says that the Christian is not under the law, but under grace. From there, he's going to coach the believer into the expectations of the victorious life of service that God has for us. But we should begin by understanding what it means to not be under the law, but to be under grace. Well, last week I pointed out to you verse 13 of Romans chapter 6. It says, Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I mentioned that whenever an individual chooses or begins to act out sin, when they act upon the temptation that's laid before them, when they yield to that temptation and give themselves over to sin, they're not just somehow inexorably drawn into it. There is a moment in which they themselves, the spiritual individual they are, present their bodies and they present themselves into that activity, into that sin. There's a moment of presentation in which they give themselves to that sin or that unrighteousness. That's what takes place. That's a part of the decision. That's why God holds you accountable for your actions. At the same time, it's true that when you serve God and you yield to Him and you seek to obey Him, God does not ever overwhelm or or bypass this act of surrender on your part, this act of presentation on your part, where you yield up your body and yourself to honor Him and glorify Him and serve Him, and you give your body to present yourself to Him in that way. And and so the, the real thing I hope you're seeing here Actually, what happens, that word when it says present your body, it says don't present your body to sin. And the, and the Greek word has the idea, don't give your body to the disposal of sin, giving it up to the disposal of sin, but give your body up to the disposal or at the disposal of righteousness and the righteous way that God would have us live. And so really what's at play here again is this issue of which kingdom you're going to give yourself to, which kingdom you're going to serve. Are you going to put your body and the members of your body and your abilities and your energetic powers, your physical powers and your mental powers at the disposal of the kingdom of darkness? Or are you going to yield your body and all your powers and energies to the disposal of the kingdom of the Son of God's love? Now, what I did having said that was then I pivoted to this idea of present your body as instruments. As we spoke about this idea of presenting your body as instruments, my imagination got away with me. And I associated it, your body, as a... And I did this very briefly. You might not have picked up on it at all. I did. You associated your body like a musical instrument that you yield up to God so that His Spirit might breathe through it and work through it to perform and express His glory and His power and His beauty. And It's a good analogy, and I think the analogy holds true. And it it may actually kind of work with Ephesians chapter 2.10 where the Bible says we are God's workmanship, and the word the workmanship is the Greek word poema. It's the word from which we get poem, although there's not a direct correlation. The idea that God expresses His craft and His handiwork through us, that may be a parallel to that analogy that that I set forward very briefly of our bodies as musical instruments. But actually, that's not the analogy that Paul is making in this passage when he uses the word instrument. The word instrument there in the Greek actually means a weapon of warfare. That's the analogy he's making. You're either presenting your body 
and sin as a weapon of warfare in the enemy's hands to strike against the kingdom of God's light and the kingdom of God's truth, or you are presenting your body into righteousness as a weapon of light in God's hand that strikes out against the darkness. And the illustration puts before us the choice that God leaves us and that Paul is bringing us to in this section. It's this. What are you going to present your body to? What will you present your life to? It will either be one of two things. You're either going to present yourself to sin as a weapon of darkness, or you're going to present yourself and your body to righteousness as a weapon of God and of His light. So these are the things we're considering. Now, take your Bibles and let's go to verse 15. That's a little bit of an apology for what we looked at in the past, and it it sets the mood, you might say, for what we're going to consider here. In verse 15, Paul is repeating a question that's been asked of him in verse 1. And the question is, if we're not under the law anymore, but we're under grace, why don't we just go on sinning? That's the question in question 1. Why don't we just go on sinning that grace might abound? And now in 15, it's repeated But now it's, why don't we just sin? Why don't we just choose and pick our sin that we're going to commit in order that grace may abound? And Paul's immediate answer to this question is, God forbid. That's how it is in the old King James. It's certainly not. Absolutely not. May it never be. That's the idea of the word there. Just for a moment. You know, it's an emotional response to a suggestion that's being made. Paul is at the moment putting aside, providing any kind of intellectual response to the question, and he's emoting at this very suggestion. This is appropriate. There have been times in your lives when suggestions have been made to you and someone has put forth an idea to you that is completely antithetical to what you value and what is in your heart of hearts. And your immediate response is, are you kidding? Or don't be silly or don't be ridiculous or never, not a chance. And it's an appropriate response to give. After having given that emotional response, by the way, I suggest that you then explain yourself. And that's what Paul does. He's going to explain himself. And by the way, this is a good rule for parents. You know, children will bring you to situations in which you're going to say to them, are you kidding? You're not going to do that. You make your emotional response first. You shout at them when they're getting ready to run out in the middle of the traffic and you make them stop. And it's then after that, you pull them aside. Now, this is always your obligation having put down your law with some sense of emotion and firmness. Your obligation is to explain yourself. That's what Paul does in this passage. Paul first sets down the definitive statement, I will never, never, may it never be. But then Paul explains himself. Here's another thing when we look at verse 15, we've got to realize as we're understanding what's here in verse 15 is, you see here that those who are listening to Paul, even those who are not conceding to his message, are understanding that Paul is teaching that the Christian is no longer living under the moral law as a basis for establishing or gaining their righteousness. It's been completely set aside, and the law has no play in whether they are right before God or not right before God. It doesn't bring them into a state and right standing before God whatsoever, and it's only through God's grace that God freely provides that they can be right before God. And they calculate, well, this is true, then why follow the law at all? Why do anything that's obedient at all? Why don't we just keep on sinning and just rely upon grace to put us right before God? But here's the thing I think you need to see that Paul's saying when Paul says we're not under law. Paul is acknowledging that every individual has a law that weighs in upon and dictates the way they live. It's either as the Jews had, they had the law of the Ten Commandments that had been given to them, it was written in stone, or like the pagans or the Gentiles in this situation, They just had a conscious law that was dictating to them moral 
principles that they were to live by. And everyone's instinct is to retrieve those laws and then lay those laws as the foundation by which, as they follow those laws, they establish their own righteousness. And Paul is saying, yeah, you're not under that pattern. You're not under that direction, that means or, or avenue through which you can establish righteousness. And the reason why is, first of all, as Paul has already told us, it doesn't work. You can't establish your righteousness through the law. Here's what's happening. It will give you the standard of righteousness, but then it will reveal to you that you can't follow it. You can't follow the Ten Commandments. You can't even follow the dictates of your own conscience. You break them on a regular basis. And so if you think you're going to be right by keeping all these standards and these laws, you're wrong. It won't work. It'll actually work the other way. It will aggravate your conscience to realize what a, a sinner you are. And so you're not under the law. You're under grace. It won't accomplish what you're trying to accomplish through the law. Then the next thing Paul says is, you're not only not under the law in terms of being able to establish your righteousness through the following of the law, but you're now not under the jeopardy or the sentence or judgment of the law. Because the law says the soul that sins will surely die. The law says that if you're guilty in one part in the law, you're guilty of all of it as a lawbreaker. And you bring upon yourself the curse of the law. Paul is saying you're also a believer because you're under grace. You're not under the jeopardy of the law. You're not under the sentence or judgment that the law has brought against you, and convicting you of your sin and revealing to you your own failures. In consequence, instead, you're under grace. By grace, what I mean is, Paul is saying that you're now under a righteousness that you've received and been given to you that you didn't accomplish on your own. Jesus Christ has lived that perfectly sinless, righteous life. And as you put your faith and belief in Him, He puts upon you all of His righteousness. And you're on the righteousness that He accomplished through the law perfectly and sinlessly. And it's yours. And that's what you're under. You receive it by grace. It's a free gift that's given to you by faith in Him. And, and being under grace, you're also under the impulse of that righteousness now because He lives in you. He abides in you by His Holy Spirit. He's producing within you the principle or the power of his own righteousness, and he is going to conduct you or guide you into a life of righteousness. How wonderful. How wonderful to be rescued from the jeopardy of the law and from the judgment of the law and be delivered up into a righteous standing before God that comes through Jesus alone and through an energy and impulse that helps you to be and do and live as you can't be and do and live in your own strength and your own power. I kind of know what it's like to be under the jeopardy of a law in a certain way and under the judgment of a law. We, we might remember when we were little children, you know, when I grew up, you had Sunday morning service, you had Sunday evening service. Sunday evening service got out and all the kids would go out in the church parking lot and we'd play. We'd play tag, we'd play all kinds of games. I was rather aggressive when I played those games. There was always some kid that I did something wrong to that tattled on me. And as a result of that, on more occasions than I can remember, I was sent to the car by my father, who was the pastor. Joel, go to the car, and when you get home, you are going to answer for this. I'm going to discipline you. You're in trouble. Just go to the car. And, you know, then they lingered for an hour or a half hour of visiting. And you just sat in the car while the other kids were playing out in the parking lot. And you knew that your future held this spanking that was waiting for you when you got home and our home was a long ways away from the church as well so you had to endure that drive all the way you're calculating your mind should i when i get home should i pretend to be asleep that's a good way or or should i remind my dad that i have discipline so it'll go easy on me or should i be quiet and hope that he's totally forgot about it you know what you're doing? You're living under the jeopardy of the law. You're living under its judgments. It's a cloud that weighs upon you. And in some sense, that's how men are living today. 
trying to prove that they're righteous, but they can't escape their own conscience. And they're living under the guilt of that sin, and they know that there's an answer, and they know that there's a righteousness that they've not fulfilled, and they know that there's a payment and a judgment that's to be paid, and, and all of that they live under that cloud. And Paul says, by grace, you're no longer under that cloud. You've been delivered. You're not under that jeopardy whatsoever. How wonderful. Now, there's one more thing I want to show you about this verse 15. It's asking basically the same question you have in verse 1 of chapter 6. Paul is going to answer these questions twice. The first time that Paul answers this question, he answers it by showing us what God has done for us in bringing to us new life. That when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment we are drawn into the death of Jesus Christ for our sins and our old nature and that fallen sinful man dies with Christ in that death that he died on the cross. And in his resurrection, we are brought into the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We rise in Jesus Christ to a new life, to become new creatures in Jesus Christ. He's saying we cannot continue in sin because God has done something miraculous and wonderful for us. We're new creatures. He's regenerated us. He's redeemed us. And so the answer that Paul gives to the question the first time is, well, let me remind you what God has done in us and providing for us his salvation. But now when Paul answers the question the second time, the focus that he gives is not what God has done for us, but what we have done for God, what we did when we came to God and we gave ourselves to God and we turned to Him. And so he's now focusing upon that moment of conversion when we turned our life over to Him. So the first answer is, well, we can't continue in sin because of what God has done in us. And the second answer is, and we can't continue in sin or go on sinning because of what we did when we gave our lives to him. Thank you for joining us at the Bread of Life, where we gather to feast on God's Word. If these messages are feeding your soul, let us know. Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links to contact us with a message of encouragement. Until the next time, may God bless you.